welcome to Life Pairings, where two Canadian alcohol connoisseurs mix life events and libations. Hello, I'm Carla Richards. And I'm Brittany Lysing. And this, this is, is Life Pairings. <laughs> because life is hard. So pair it with alcohol. Ladies and gentlemen, follow us into the past as we explore the flora and fauna of ancient species, and most importantly, dinosaurs, as today's life pairing is Dinosaur Museum with Reaper of Death 2.0. Whoa. We discuss the Bearded Lady Project, horses, and the Woolly Mammoth. Oh, I like the Willie Mammoth. I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode. <laughs> Dude, this is, uh, everybody should know that Carla loves dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And we got to go on a field expedition. This is, yeah, this is like, um, I'm sure we've mentioned it before, but the whole idea of this godforsaken podcast <laughs> was that we were going to get to go do a bunch of fun stuff and then pair it with alcohol. And yeah. then what happened was, um, well, I don't know if you heard, Carla, there was a bit mm, of a don't know, don't know. situation um, uh-huh. that prevented us from doing anything for two and a half years. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm sure it was not two and a half. It does. It was a year and a half, though, was it not? Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. my God. And I mean, like, things are still slowly getting back. I mean, I pretty much was like this weekend, like. I'm done with COVID. Oh, I finished. Now yeah. I'm hiding for the next week, so that's not. <laughs> I've overexposed myself to about three thousand people this week, so yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, so it's it's definitely. Uh, so this is the first week we got to go do a thing uh, mm-hmm. for a thing. Like we, you know, we we always wanted to do these life events and get to experience them. This week, this time, we did. Yeah, we went to the Royal Tyrell Museum of Paleontology in Drumheller, Alberta. Yep, lucky for us, pretty close. Yeah. We didn't have to fly there. We simply just no. got in Carla's <laughs> eco-friendly <laughs> car and drove there. Mm. Um, yeah. uh, but it's a blast. I mean, like, living here, uh, you know, Alberta gets a bad rap for a lot of things, but it's actually a pretty mm. neat place, and there's a lot of cool historical things that have happened here, uh, the yeah. dinosaurs being one of them. Yeah. So that was uh, the first historical thing. To happen, guess, <laughs> legitimately today. on the books, the first historical thing that <laughs> here. Now uh, you're not the biggest dinosaur fan, but you have been to the museum a I've couple been, times. I've been several times. Actually, I don't know if yeah. I told you this while we were there, but I actually uh helped install an elevator in that museum. So Oh, you did tell me that, yes. Uh, uh so I was actually there for like I think I was there for like three weeks at one point. Did the uh, dinosaurs come alive at night? They do. Like, um, okay, that's not something they're talking about. I maybe have right. I've spilled the beans. I've let the cat out of the bag, but oh my god, I've let the raptor out of the bag. Um, so to speak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll let you pun this week because uh, I just like set of it. Damn it! I. Uh, <laughs> but I do like dinosaurs. I just was never a kid like that ever was uh, super obsessed with them, and I never really got into them. But I appreciate them, and I like hearing things about them, and I enjoy. <laughs> I enjoyed our visit. Yeah, that was fun. What was your favorite part of the museum? I like that last little bit just before uh, the ending into which you go into the the future. Um, It had all the big dinosaurs. Like it had the T-Rex. It had all the, I can't remember how you call them, the the big like kind of frill dinosaurs, chemosauruses or something. Yeah. That was was fun. I liked the entrance into that. Like, the yes. you go through all the prehistoric time periods yeah 
I liked that. I liked that a bunch. That was it, neat. it was like aesthetically pleasing. Like you yes. go through they they make it seem like you're going through a time tunnel. Yeah. And you walk past all the different time periods and it tells you a little bit about what has happened and then it takes you to the dinosaurs because there was a lot of evolution that had to happen to get to the dinosaurs. Mhm. So you kind of are you're basically leading you start the museum like leading up to the dinosaur period. That's the way it's laid out. So I was like, it was almost like it was like getting to like the end of the movie. Like it was exciting. Yeah. yeah. Right. It we was like trying to figure out on the, cause they have globes to yeah. in each area that show you like where the world was kind of at the time you like where Alberta was. And it's like, totally you can never, you can never <laughs> find it. Cause you're just like, is this Europe? Is this whatever? But yeah. it, nothing was anything. The land was no. all different. Everything was a different place. Like, so nothing. So your borders you, not mean even nothing. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Sorry, I'm like so the borders mean nothing. You know, because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like changed so much over time. You ask those dinosaurs what they think about borders. borders. Yeah, they like have a really like edgy, a real edge lord political opinion on borders. They probably do have like a. <laughs> they're animals. They probably have like a, a space where they're like, if you come in here, I will eat you. Mm-hmm. So. They maybe we shouldn't talk to them about do apologies. You know what? That's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was a. I really enjoyed myself, and it was. It's a fun little drive. Um, mm-hmm. If you're ever visiting the city of Calgary, um, it's about an hour and a half away. Yeah, and the town was nice, and it was. A, I appreciated our yeah. little adventure away. Um, yeah, get to experience the dinosaurs in the most tangible way possible. Really. I think so. I think so. The interesting thing about this museum is it's actually just the bones. There's no like, um, like a lot of places now have animatronics and. uh, Yeah, this is. (laughs) This is actually just the the bones that they find in the area too. I think like the furthest away was like Montana. Yeah. Would you. That's kind of neat. Would you, would you uh, say the museum is bare bones? Um. (laughs) You said you'd let me pun. I I know I did. Oh, Jesus. Um, um, on my side of things, I love dinosaurs. I probably am more excited about dinosaurs as an adult than like, as a kid. I like, I definitely like dinosaurs, but I wasn't like, you know, my, my, um, bedspread was not dinosaur themed. Uh, but I, I think I kind of avoid it, kind of combines the, my two favorite things was like history and imagination. And so, like, writing and creativity and stuff because we don't really know. Right. What they look like, what they did. We have to do a lot of imagining, I guess. Yeah. So I have like, I have a T-Rex skull tattoo. I have a lot of dinosaur uh, in my office decor. Uh, I actually got to take a class in university, which is technically part of my science credit about dinosaurs. (laughs) So it wasn't until later that you got, you you started to become fascinated by dinosaurs. I think so. I think like kind of, yeah, more as like a teenager adult, which I guess, yeah. Um, Which... I you told me a very good fact last week when we were at the museum. Psychologically wise, yes, about why. Well, childhood yeah. is important to this. Well, this is like, and you kind of touched on it actually, um, and pretty pretty well was that you said that it, it's basically like I mean it's historical and it's imagination. Like the mm-hmm. it's it's a big thing for kids. Like I don't know if you like I'm sure every everybody's got a niece or a nephew or a child or something who um talks about dinosaurs nonstop and memorizes yeah. everything about them 
all their little facts and stuff. So I di- I dipped into the psychology of like I couldn't really find like why we like them as adults, which I thought was odd because I just was like right. it it typically stems from childhood. Right. Um because there's such a there's such a, a room for imagination. Yeah. And kids love that. Paired with like the kind of the OCD like ticks of memorizing the names, which is I, I mm. ch- children love like the for the same reason that they love to watch the same Disney movie four hundred and eighty times. Uh huh. Do not ever show a child <laughs> a movie that you like. Yeah, they'll ruin it. But it's it's yeah. the same. It it really is the same response. Like they're they just like memorizing the names. They like knowing the like categorizing things. It's like a way to learn, and it's challenging their brain. It also. Mm is like um it's kind of like a little ego thing for them because when they know something all the things they t- yeah. they start to know more than their parents know yeah and i guess it's one of those things that you can really kind of grasp the facts of things yeah quite early on it's not like you know we're asking them to explain how airplane works no it's like they, the the facts are all there they're like okay this is a triceratops this is that was from this area they and they memorize all the little things so they start to mm-hmm. they start to kind of have a little bit of self-confidence and their brain is expanding and learning and they still have there's still the imagination around it because you can't go see dinosaurs like anymore you know like they don't exist yeah. so they can, and i think that's like a big part of it probably for like it's it's so crazy how big they were and like it's just such a different world than we can even imagine a hundred percent you're kind of awestruck like for me like Mm -hmm. i'm truly awestruck when i see like anytime i go into an area where i'm like wow dinosaurs live here (laughs) it just takes you to an it feels like it takes you to another planet yes you're like and you said you were a bit more of a space nerd i am yeah i always loved space stuff because it was i was always for actually the exact same reason i was just always in awe of how big everything was Mm -hmm. and how little Mm -hmm. we are and that's there it's on a smaller scale but really like dinosaurs can you imagine animals like the size of buildings just walking around (laughs) crushing shit it would be pandemonium Um, yeah yeah so i mean it's kids learning about something like this is actually really beneficial to them because it's a confidence builder it's an imagination uh encourager it's like something they can do and can be theirs also they can share it with like you know it's pretty widespread a lot of people like dinosaurs so it's something they can be like oh find a little buddy and talk about and yeah yeah the psychology behind it is really a lot of it stems from childhood and you know just comes you know goes into adulthood yeah yeah so all in all interesting always good to learn always good it's good to like have little obsessions too yeah like because it feels like yours it's like in your little world you get to live there and it's yeah unless it gets unless you start like thinking there is dinosaurs then like outside yeah you're like oh no then that perhaps is you've 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 uh you've gone into an inception level of your imagination yeah there's something else going on there something's brewing (laughs) perhaps you can tell us a little history i'm sure there's a historical uh side to this carla 
<laughs> there is. Um, I actually kind of wanted to talk about some of the, that there's actually a lot of female paleontologists that we just don't talk about. One of the ones that's getting a lot of notice right now at the moment is Mary Anning. I think there's a movie that just came out with, I'm guessing it's Kate Winslet, maybe like in the last two years. She really helped sort of shape the field of paleontology and she collected and studied Jurassic remains, but she was not allowed to join the any of the scientific societies or any of that. These motherfuckers. And like a lot of her work. Sorry? These motherfuckers. <laughs> I know. And like her work would be published by male peers. So there's like lots of podcasts on her if you want to check her out, but I wanted to, to find a different one. So I'm going to talk about Tilly Edinger. Edinger? Mm. She was a German paleontologist, and she actually founded paleoneurology. Wow. Yeah. So, like, the brain science of dinosaurs, essentially? Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So, she was born and raised in Frankfurt in 1897 to fairly wealthy Jewish parents. Uh, Her father was actually a neurologist and was the founder of the Neurological Institute. She received a very high-class education... Um, and she studied at the, this is, I'm going to be, I need your help. Your German's probably better than mine. <laughs> uh, she studied at the university of Hildenburg and Munich, I think. Um, she also got her d- doctoral degree in geology, zoology, and psychology at Frankfurt university in 1921. Cause back then we didn't like have paleontology as like a specialty. And lots of times it was like included in other, um, like uh, studies I guess or whatever right Uh, she actually began to lose her hearing in her teen years and by the adult by adult life she actually required a hearing aid or she would be deaf without them so just keep that in mind Um, so she actually most of her early life she was unpaid because females yeah because (laughs) because girl (laughs) because girl uh so oh, she worked she's a the, girl yeah don't pay her she doesn't and she was fine like at that point it was fine because well not fine but she could afford to do that because she was a wealthy person right she came from a wealthy family she worked at the geological institute of frankfurt university and the second Seckenberg museum of natural history in 1929 she published fossil brains Oh, uh, which brought 280 papers dealing with extinct vertebrates, brains, and spinal cords, and kind of relating them to each other. Crazy. Yeah, it blows my mind un- how smart people are. <laughs> I know. I don't. This is what I don't. This is it. The, the thing is crazy. So she was actually a cure, unpaid curator of vertebrate vertebrate mm-hmm. paleontology from 1927 to 1938. So, I assume that because her father was kind of, um, he would study actually, like, species that were still alive, but he would compare the brains of them. So, like, comparing a brain of a cat to a dog. Okay. I I don't know if he did that, but... He could (laughs) have. He could have. But, obviously, soft tissue, which, like, brains and skin are very rare in the fossil record. That's why we don't really know what color they were what their skin was like yeah i always find this fascinating because there's i mean i hope i'm not blowing anything but i i feel like there's they don't know whether they were like feathered or reptilian skinned or yeah like they don't really know bright green (laughs) we don't know i hope bright green um 
I hope Brady would. That's a nice color. Uh, the <laughs> Nothosaurus skull, which she got to study, which was a semi-aquatic reptile. It was four meters long, so just a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, she came across an actual natural cast of a brain within that skull. So basically what had happened is sediment had filled the cranium, like right. the bone, and fossilized. So you could kind of see, like, you know, if you look at a brain, there's, like, all the limes and, like, yeah. the little wrinkles and stuff. You could see that in this fossilized sediment. Crazy. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's, like, hard. Okay. It's, like, insane to take in. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually showed a lot of the external features of the brain. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, we don't even know what's going on with the brain. Um, so... The, and they, she couldn't tell the inside, but she could tell the outside. Yeah. So she real, she realized that brain casts, or what they call endocasts, could be made from the inside of fossilized skulls. Okay. So you just basically like, this is not what you do. But, you know, you just fill up the inside of a skull with like, I don't know, a balloon. Sure, sure. <laughs> some putty, some putty. And then you could see like, you know, the things, the outside par- parts of the brain. Uh, she actually did this then with alligators because she wanted to compare and see, and they seemed to be correct. The fossil record matched like what she has now, so that kind of confirmed her method. Crazy. So she would exchange brain casts with other European institutions, but there's there's a man. Okay. His name was O.C. Marsh. If you ever hear about the Bone Wars, he's one of these guys. Um. The bone wars were basically where there was two men just trying to find as many fossils as possible and like blowing up each other's fossils. And yeah, I heard a lot. I think you told me this story where they were just like legit just sabotaging other digs. So yep. like not yep. advancing at all, actually going backward. Yeah. So digs. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. Dickheads. But anyways, he had postulated that brain evolution brain evolution that older individuals brain size increased as time went on so that kind of means more modern species brains are bigger than their predecessors right and also that small brain species were more likely to go extinct oh yeah but tilly found a lot of discrepancies when she was studying all these brain casts and you know because she was comparing them to evolutionary species that were already well known so like taking um i'll go into it a little bit later but taking horses and looking at them from like as early a fossil record as we have till now she was finding discrepancies with what he was thinking okay and she was the only one doing this cross-species comparison so she's only one doing this work now i did mention she's in germany and she was jewish okay so. so, yeah, you yeah, guess what happened. Uh, by 1933, just if in case you didn't know this, Adolf Hitler rose to power. Mm-hmm. And he enacted a law preventing Jewish people from holding jobs in any government institutions. Now, luckily, her, um, like, second, Seckenberg uh, was a private institution, so she was able to keep her job. And also, very likely, it was because she was unpaid. Ugh. So there's no record of her. Oh. Whoa. So, beat a girl for the side, win. Yeah, I know. So, you know, side point for non-feminism. I suppose. Kind of? Sure. Yep. 
So for the next five years, she would try to keep herself invisible by entering the side doors of the museums. She removed her nameplate. She would stay kind of out of sight. Um, and she was also at higher risk because she had a disability. Because, you know, Hitler. Yeah. He don't like a lot of things. And yeah. He's, he's, real fu- he's a real fuss budget, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so she actually refused to leave Frankfurt because her whole family, like, their whole family was there. She had, um, I think she had, like, an estate there. But after the night of the broken glass on November 9th, 1938, which is when the Nazis burned synagogues and destroyed Jewish businesses and homes, they murdered and imprisoned a lot of Jewish people. She then thought, okay, you know what? It's time to emigrate to the U.S. Right. <laughs> these these boys aren't joking around. So, um, but the U.S., and I didn't know this, was still complying with their Immigration Act of 1924, which limited immigration. So basically, you were given a quota number of when you could emigrate to the U.S. But for hers, it was not going to be for another two years at least. So that would be around 1940. Jeez. So from us, looking from backwards, we're like, oh, no, go now. Yeah. But she couldn't. So even like her American colleagues, because she was very well known by this because she was such an um, an amazing scientist in this field and had basically created this field. Um, all her American colleagues said, you know, this is a research scientist of the first rank. She was still not approved to get in sort of on an earlier of visa. Course. Um, But through the assistance of the Emergency Association of German Scientists Abroad, she was able to get to London. And they she she actually took a job in England as a translator. And she would do that job kind of to make money because guess what happens during the war? (laughs) She lost everything. So um, she did make it to the U.S. eventually. And she worked as a research associate at Harvard. And she was one of only four women to receive aid by the emergency committee in aid of displaced scholars. Right. That's cool. So anyways, when she gets to the U S she actually gets paid. Woo. Woo. But like I said, she still has to supplement with translation work. Uh, She actually got to do some field work in Texas, which is exciting. Uh, She stayed in the U S as most of her family had died during the war and they, and all of her family's estate was gone. So this is when she starts studying horse brains and charting it out over different uh, geological time periods. And she found that brain enlargement and the folds arose independently from other mammals. And so it didn't, and, and that it was changing in different times. So it wasn't like the brain started small and then now modern horses have like the biggest brains. Oh, so they evolved. They evolved and got bigger and bigger and bigger. No, so they they could get bigger, smaller. It was independent. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't like a yeah. It wasn't a what do you call it? Like a linear thing. It just depended on <laughs> that week. That's not <laughs> well. Like the I would imagine like the breed of the horse and the you know exactly you know, and the time period and the time period. Yeah, yeah. And so she wrote a, a book called Evolution of the Horse Brain in 1948. So that's very much kind of trying to question this whole linear idea of, of uh, brain size, which, um, you know, we still have a kind of thing about that with us from our, in our kind of geological uh, lineage. So right. it's still kind of a, I don't know how, like, I think maybe it's probably not scholarly people think that, but that is still kind of part of our 
layman's thought process, I guess, right? Right. Ish? Sure. I don't like I I'm, I kind of figured that that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm like I'm a, it's a little above my pay grade. Right. I don't yeah, quite sorry. understand. This is, this is very much above my pay grade as well. <laughs> and I'm so sorry to anybody that knows anything about this. Uh, um on May 26, 1967, unfortunately she was hit by a truck crossing the street oh. probably because she couldn't hear it unfortunately. Um and she died the next day. But after her death her colleagues completed her unfinished project of 20 years, which was an annotated bibliography of paleoneurology from 1804 to 1966. Oh, wow. And this still serves as an entry point into the discipline. So it's still all, it's still all like nobody's disproven it. No, like, well, and I kind of think it's like kind of the, the, like a a history of paleoneurology during this time period and a lot of that work would have happened between 1804 and 1966 i mean obviously they've made probably giant leaps since then but uh yeah so she served as this like creator of a, a different type of paleontology i guess maybe yep. or a sub sub thing of it a subreddit <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the subreddit of the subreddit on paleontology that's like how like we explain it to millennials it's basically like Mm -hmm. a subreddit of um yeah if we had a reddit of dinosaurs this would be the subreddit this would be the subreddit (laughs) equally as beneficial (laughs) um that's awesome yeah so and she had to go through quite the struggle to get there too which is amazing like you know it feels like it's like really interesting lady it's i always feel like women have to do you know, the same amount of work and then 10 times more mm-hmm. after that. So it's like, oh, you have yeah. to be the best and do it 10 times better to even be recognized. For... And, and hide from Nazis and keep your job under Nazis. And yeah. Yeah. So um, that's amazing. Well, great. Yeah. Great story, Carla. Have you got anything a little more? I don't know. Are, are we going to be new news? No. I mean, be... I have. I, this is an. I, this is. <laughs> it's a new uh, thing that they have discovered, which is pretty cool. Ooh. That um, they discovered that, and this is from ScienceDaily.com, that unusual dinosaurs rapidly shrunk down to the size of chickens as they adopted a, a new remarkable diet. So they were like huge dinosaurs basically were like, just because their diet, they shrunk down like very, very quickly. So I'll give you a little uh, background on the article here. The dinosaurs were generally huge, but a study, but a new study of unusually uh, alvasauruses showed that they reduced in size about a hundred million years ago when they became a specialized anteaters. This work is led by Zinko Quinn, a Ph. student at the University of Bristol and an institution of vertebrate paleontology and paleo. Oh my God, paleoanthropology. Oh my God, like Whoa. I'll ever be able to th- say that word. Uh, in this is a very hard episode for us. We do not. Yeah, have yeah I'm like it. I don't know how to say <laughs> fucking words. Uh, in Beijing, <laughs> uh, essentially, it was just a. Uh, uh, a vertebrae paleontology um, uh, university in Beijing. So he measures the size of the body of dozens of specimens and showed that they range from size in 10 to 70 uh, kilograms, the size of a large turkey or a small ostrich 
for most of their existence, and then they plummeted rapidly uh, to a chicken size. So actually, I, I lied. They weren't dinosaur size. They were essentially like right. a huge, like like a like an ostrich, like a big right. bird. It's bigger than a raptor, by the way, guys. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, raptors are just babies. Like they're oh. just like chicken size. They think. Oh. As B.D. Wong says in Jurassic Park, you didn't something like you didn't ask for realism. You asked for teeth. <laughs> That's why we think. That's why we think they're bigger. huge. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's it's essentially they like adapt. They adopted a uh, a new diet of anteating, and they over the course of, uh, like a small, you know, like, a, comparatively so, like a small amount of time, they shrunk mm-hmm. down. Like they evolved and shrunk down into little chicken sized things. So this is a br- this is a brand new article, um, yeah. and I'll link it in the thing. It's pretty neat, man. It's like they it goes on and on and on and on, but like anytime there's yeah. a new discovery, they're just like, it like changes how they, how they, yeah. you know, now think about things. They're like, okay, it wasn't this big. Oh my god, things like could evolve very quickly, like based yeah. on diet. Like for people that that are upset about like brontosaurus not being a thing anymore yeah. there are if you go back to like your childhood the, most of the things now are different oh yeah because that's what science is they just keep proving you know proving and disproving and proving and disproving, yeah so. and i think like because china has a lot of fossils that are coming out and they're just being found kind of now like in 10 years the whole thing is going to be different oh my god t-rexes could have been c-rex um, driving cars we yeah, don't <laughs> <laughs> it could have been the sea rex who swam he used a swimmer yeah. swimmer sore and he's best friends with the sea otter yeah so swimmer sore hands <laughs> and uh <laughs> awesome well that's very cool about the uh i wonder if they were became vegan and then they well we all get shorter if we're vegan <laughs> well they were they, i mean they were still eating ants i mean they were still like oh they were still consuming protein that way but like yeah it just was like they obviously were eating way less so their body adapted to like that diet because they probably you know couldn't survive if they yeah you'd need like a i can't even imagine like how much food a tyrannosaurus rex would need in a day like if you look at how much like a horse needs it's a lot it's a lot of food a lot of food well carla we Mm. um would you like to get into the drank Yes, please. Oh, I always want to get into the drink. Um, <laughs> uh, we visited a very cool brewery while we were there. We did. We lucked out with those. Yeah, I mean, it was all kind of, it was funny. It was like one of these things where we're like, let's just go and see what happens. And we'll look up a, to see what they have there. And we stumbled upon um, a very cool brewery called Valley Brewing, which is right in the heart of downtown Drumheller. And um, so the drink, they uh, like we walked in and we told them we were recording a podcast and we were going to the museum and we were looking for a beer to pair with dinosaurs. And literally Mm -hmm. the girls there were so helpful. They were so awesome. And they were just like... It was um, Barb and Amy. So if you're listening. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We had a great time. It was really good. It was so nice. We walked in and they were just like, hey, oh, what about this one? And then they like brought out this... uh, uh, it is a double N-E-I-P-A. It is called Reaper of Death 2.0. Uh, and on the can is like a wicked little uh, dinosaur going through the bushes. Like, I love the artwork on the can. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, that's like half the best part of craft beer. I think so. It's, it's like, well, we were talking the other week about records and like how the the album cover really makes kind of 
yeah part of the music part of the experience so um i looked up i was like what the hell is a double n e i p a and it yeah this is happening a lot because i feel like there's <laughs> new noticed. beers just being invented all the time which is very there's cool. like a w i p a so i wonder what the n e is well or what a double n e i p a uh it is uh according to uh wikipedia or it's just the the imperial double new england ipa so it's uh okay new england india pale ale so known as imperial double hazy ipa or double juicy ipa is a strong ipa with intense fruit flavors and aromas a soft body and a smooth mouthfeel of and often opaque with uh substantial haze so that's what uh just uh generally they are described as um this particular beer is described as bold hoppy aromatic and it is a 8.8 percent alcohol content <laughs> yes. so it's like a strong i mean it suits it is we'll be drunk in 10 minutes it is the reaper i mean it does suit its name mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so uh, the thing that i love about these cans uh, they also provide a little history about why they called it this or whatever. A little yeah. Each one, so for Valley Brewing, each one of their beers they have a little history story for it. Yeah. So. Do you have the can on you, Carla? I do. Give us a read. All right. It says, "Walking the Earth during the Cretaceous period, seventy-nine point five million years ago, the Reaper of Death claimed the Canadian <laughs> Badlands of southern Alberta. It's the oldest known." Tyrannosaurid oh. on record in northernly North America. Uh, the word, the dinosaur, I think it's called the <clears throat> Thanatothesaurus, which is, that's, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. uh, which is Greek for the Reaper of Death, was recently discovered in the Bow Valley River west of Medicine Hat. And I think this is actually also a combination with Medicine Hat Brewing Company. Yes. Um, and is now proudly situated in the Royal Tyrell Museum in Drumheller. It's inspired by the vicious meat-eating dinosaur known for its serrated teeth and monstrous face. <laughs> Uh, they created this monster of a beer, generously dry hopped with an incredible amount of, I think that I don't know how to say. So, yeah, <laughs> too many words. Too many stuff. It says, hop heads and dinophiles rejoice, which I like that. I'm a dinophile. Very cool. Are you, I, I, anything ophile makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> for my own reasons. But that's awesome. Dude, and this, like, how great was the experience there like the they had a little yes. garden out back that you basically like oh, so go into the back and you're just sitting in like lush flower gardens and there's dinosaurs look out into the badlands which makes you feel like you're in the middle of the jurassic period and everything is dinosaur themed in Drumheller. Mm -hmm. so it's like you can't look too far without seeing a little dinosaur playground or statue or it's very funny yeah so yeah i had a, um, an amazing experience here yeah, and I really like this beer. I'm not, I mean, I've said this every time we have a hop beer. I'm like, I'm not a hop beer fan, but I really like this one. <laughs> this is like, I know, it's just, I, I'm actually not very, I don't like a hoppy beer. And this is like more hoppy mm -hmm. than you could possibly get because it's the double N E I P A. But it's good, right. man. I, I really enjoy yeah. it. It's, it's a smooth, it's smooth drinking. And um, they've yes. taken their own swing at it. And I think it's, it's really good. And it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know particularly what the beer has to do with dinosaurs other than 
<laughs> the can having a dinosaur on it but i i yeah. think that's match enough for us i think so, so i think so yeah i think that this dinosaur is the yeah. he would like this beer i think he's you know what i think he would too and i think that's how he would he'd probably need he he'd need an 8.8 at least right 100 percent, even just to get a buzz on at the very least oh and if he started drinking yeah. it i'm sure that's how he would say his name too sure he probably didn't have great uh whatever tongue action is that yeah i when i think of dinosaurs i think of great tongue action um yeah <laughs> um tell us a few facts have you got a few facts sure yeah so we've kind of talked about Drumheller a little bit um we actually are going to do an episode on Drumheller separately which you'll hear sometime yep um but this bad it's a it's called the badlands um and they have found 58 dinosaur species in this area including the stars stegosaurus t-rex corythosaurus <laughs> <laughs> which is the duckbilled dinosaur which is my favorite oh i do like that one um and the ankylosaurus which we saw at this museum there is an amazing ankylosaurus yes do you want to talk about that a little bit there was somebody they were digging for oil or or however they do that yeah was it oil sands maybe and somebody found this like it was it's almost an intact oh i remember this now i yeah, yeah it was like basically the they were up in the northern region of alberta they were digging um at a oil project and yeah they basically yeah. shut down the entire oil project and discovered like yeah like you said like basically intact <laughs> like yeah. but also okay, you can see the scales and stuff uh, yeah it. the scales cool. were were visible on it they that like that were like imprinted in the rock and that was incredible because i've never seen anything like that tells mm -hmm. you what that dinosaur's maybe skin looked like or whatever mm -hmm. yeah yeah so thank you to the oil person that didn't destroy it yeah shockingly it's very expensive when you find things oh it's just a pain just a royal pain in the ass when you're doing anything in construction site. and they're like everyone has to shut down you're like ah yeah um, i as a historian have a i love it i think it's great when they find stuff i think it yeah um, and it's you, you know what's funny that's usually how panicky. they find something is like they were digging yeah. in a place to put a building and they have they're like oh my god we've stumbled upon something crazy yeah, it is like a, a really big way of, um, there's something, they were doing some boring, like not boring, you know, whole mm -hmm. boring mm -hmm. in London. Um, and in the last few years, I can't remember what they're doing with it, probably making a train line. Um, and they've just found so much stuff. I'm sure the project is stupid expensive. Yeah. But I've done construction budgeting. And I honestly, if I had to put in like a contingency for historical stuff, Oh, that's what I need to get. Into. <laughs> I think you'd have to have some sort of insurance coverage there. I assume you have to have quite a bit, yeah. In case something happens and a project comes to an I was doing this in Vancouver. There's nothing halt. to find. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but, yeah, all in all, man, this is a fun This is a fun trip. I enjoyed it. Yes. Oh, sorry. Oh, and I didn't. More. I'm sorry, I kind of got distracted. Oh, um, also the uh, museum is called is named after Joseph Burr Tyrell. He was actually looking for coal, uh, which is a huge thing in this area. So that's what we're going to talk about a lot when we talk about Drumheller. Um, but he found an Albertosaurus skull while he was looking for coal. 
So that's cool. And then the museum actually functions as a museum and a, a laboratory research facility. We actually got to see like people working. Yeah, and they were all girls in there. That was yeah. Actually, like there was no. I I was like, ooh, look at these badass bitches. Exactly. Well, actually, I think so. It says that um, women make up half of student members of paleontology societies, but only a quarter have actual staff jobs, like a curator or professor. So we are dominating the field, but not dominating it in an, in, in terms of like um, in in the space of of uh, like a visual space, I suppose. Yeah. So um, you mentioned at the beginning. The Bearded Lady Project, which is a documentary and a photo series that showcases the female face of paleontologists. And basically, kind of, because if you watch a documentary on dinosaurs, yeah, 90% of it's going to be male. They're going to have big beards. <laughs> and that's like the face of, of paleontology. So they took all these ladies who are prominent paleontologists and they stuck beards on them. Uh, so it's kind of a neat thing. Um... So yeah. Oh, I'm gonna check that out. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is yeah, dude. This was a fun um this was fun because we actually got to do the thing. And I'm looking yep. forward to like more things like this where we get to go have fun and drink <laughs> during <Yes>. it. <laughs> yeah. Outside with friends and family. This is the blitz. If you are a if you are a brewery that has things based drinks based on things around your area let us know we'll come yeah we'll come do the thing and have the drink (laughs) yeah we're into it (laughs) um well this is awesome carla um i'm looking forward to our next adventure uh outside of our homes and i hope you guys are too thank you so much for listening we do this every week uh every thursday there's a new episode baby there's all kinds of extra content on our patreon uh we do fun Mm -hmm. we're currently in the middle of a summer series where we're pairing things like tubing with uh something <laughs> some beer some, some beer we're doing a lot of beer lately. we're doing a lot of beer lately uh or water skiing Hot. or water slides we, we're we're in a whole summer series over there um there's also the tragically hip series where we paired tragically hip songs with alcohol so you can head over to our patreon and check those things out uh that's on our website at www.lifepairingspodcast.com uh, you can check out uh the patreon is in the top right corner um yeah in the meantime thank you so much for listening uh we're uh as always oh and before you oh yeah sorry before you do that um Brittany has a new tv special that she's in oh yeah coming out the 19th july 19th july 19th so. yeah the uh john door stand-up show the stand-up show it's called yeah so that'll be on ctv uh yeah and you can check that out that's when the series start i don't i'm not necessarily sure when my episode will air but that's when the series goes to air so check it out man a lot of great canadian comics we recorded (laughs) mid-pandemic there were uh, mannequins in the audience and i'm interested to see how that shows up on film (laughs) that's exciting that was fun so we'll see what happens cool yeah uh as always we are uh, brought to you by uh the cho podcast network um, so head over there. Uh, they're on all the socials. You can check out all the talented people uh, on the network. Mm. We're we're thrilled to be a part of it, and we're all obviously so grateful that they continue to let us do this every week. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks.